Good afternoon. And good afternoon for the very last time because it's morning services from next week and I am so excited. Um, I, for one, will never complain about getting out of bed for morning church ever again. And if you do catch me, I give you full permission to call me out um, because I never want to take that for granted again. Um, for those who don't know me, my name is Caitlin, like Rachel said, and I work for the church to, in short, make things happen. <laughs> <laughs> for the past couple of months, we've been walking through the letter of 1 John. Um, John's style of writing can be a bit hard for us to follow. Um, if that's you and you feel that, that is absolutely okay because that is me too. Um, to help, the one thing I want to say before we uh, open our Bibles and read today's passage um, is John's use of the word spirit is potentially a bit confusing. For our look, in today's passage, where we see the word spirit, I think it'd be helpful for us to hear message or messenger. As we'll hear, John is telling his readers to test the spirits, by which he means test the messages, test the messengers, test the ideas. So with that in mind, let's read 1 John 4, 1 to 8. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. So the plan for today, for those like myself that like a wee handrail for a sermon, we're going to take a brief look at what's going on in the passage, and then we'll go through three tests that I think John gives us to weigh up whether a message or messenger is speaking from God or not from God, to equip us to identify God's voice from the enemy's voice. On the surface, this passage can seem like it is one about demonic spirits and deliverance. It's not, which I'm very relieved about, because I don't fancy that preach. But whilst this is not a passage about deliverance ministry, it is a passage about spiritual warfare. What I mean by spiritual warfare is a battle between God and his kingdom, and the rebellious accuser, the devil, and his forces that are at work in this world. 
It is a battle for our hearts, our minds, and our bodies for our whole entire lives. The enemy is at work to drag as many of us, God's children, away from God that he possibly can. One of the ways which the enemy can work is through false prophets and the messages that they spread. And this is what John is warning his readers about in today's passage. What do we mean when we talk of false prophets? A false prophet is someone who claims to be speaking on behalf of God, but what they're saying is not true, is not really what God would be saying to us. Toby said in his introduction to this letter as a whole that false teachers, also known as false prophets, with seemingly good credentials have separated themselves from the apostles and are now trying to mislead the second generation Christians. I reckon that false prophets who have come out from following the apostles would have had a very good understanding of the teachings of Jesus, making them rather difficult to spot. False prophets are dangerous people. Jesus said they are wolves in sheep's clothing. They come looking harmless, but inside they are ferocious wolves. They may come seeming like devout followers of Jesus, claiming to have a message from God, but whether they realize it or not, the enemy is using their words to mislead God's people. And this is such a prime enemy tactic because it's subtle work. It's twisting truth, planting ideas that are just not quite right that lead people astray. Jesus calls Satan the father of lies. And John Mark Comer in his most recent book talks about the devil as a master manipulator. He says, the devil is well aware that the most effective lies are the ones that are mostly true. Spin a tale in which 95% of what you say is accurate. Just make the 5% of inaccuracy the linchpin that undoes your mark. A great strategy for deception. And also how you absolutely nail the game, two truths and a lie. I think a lot of false prophets operate under that strategy. Of 95% being truth, that's the sheep's clothing. And the 5% is the ferocious wolf underneath. The messages and messengers that John's first readers were encountering and the ones that we encounter today are not all from God. Um, And they're not neutral either. They are deliberate, destructive designs of the enemy, seeking to mislead God's people. Whenever an idea is spread that challenges the truth of who God is, of what he is like, and how to have relationship with him, That is the enemy trying to prevent God's children from coming home. So, how then do we avoid this? How do we test the spirits? How can we test whether the messages and messengers and ideas we hear are telling us the truth about God? Handily, John in this passage has given us three tests to help us work out whether something or someone is from God or not from God. So let's look at verses two and three. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. 
This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. So number one, does it confess Jesus as the son of God who came in the flesh? John's first test is simple but important. Does the message or messenger acknowledge that Jesus has come in the flesh? God the Son coming in the flesh as an actual human is absolutely core to the gospel, the good news of the relationship with God that he offers us. In John's gospel, it is one of the first things we learn about Jesus. In John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Any message that challenges that core of the gospel, that challenges the fact that God came in the flesh and died for us, sends us away from God and away from our relationship with him. I had to take a pause this week because I find myself asking, why is it again that the fact that Jesus came as an actual human is really important? That can feel like a stupid question when it's something that we just seem to know and accept. But if you, like me, need a reminder, or if you've never asked that question before, let me ask this not stupid question for you. Why is this key? It's key because John's saying every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God is actually shorthand for everything that Jesus, God the Son, accomplished in the incarnation, the becoming human, in death and resurrection, dying and being raised back to life, and in the ascension, being taken up to be back with God the Father. If God the Son didn't come in the flesh, then he didn't come and meet me. He didn't experience the things I experience. He didn't feel the things I feel, and he didn't die for me. If God the Son didn't die for me, then am I even saved? Where have my sins gone? If he didn't die, then they aren't dealt with, and I still live condemned under them and unable to have a relationship with God. And if Jesus didn't die, then he certainly wasn't resurrected. And if Jesus wasn't resurrected, then I have absolutely no hope of resurrection and no hope of eternal life with God. Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 15, 16 to 17. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. Very quickly, we can see that our entire faith falls apart if God the Son, Jesus, did not actually come in the flesh. So any message or messenger that casts doubt or straight up denies that Jesus came as a human, denies that he loves us enough to come after us, to bring us back to him. Every message that tries to tell us what the world is like without the point of view of God loving us enough to come after us is going to shift our focus from the truth and that will affect how we see God. We'll begin asking questions like, does he love me? Is he trustworthy? Is he even good? It will affect how we see others. Does God see them as beloved children worth saving? 
and it will affect how we see ourselves. If I am not starting from the point of view that God became human to come after me because he loves me, then I end up putting my worth and my value on the shaky, unstable foundations for my identity that the world tells me that I should. If the messenger, or the message, does in fact confess Jesus as Lord who came in the flesh, fantastic. But... Remember that it then also better align with the words that Jesus said and the way he calls us to live. It's really handy having a book of God's words to us. No message that is from God is going to contradict the words in the Bible. So here is your official plug to go and read your Bibles. How are we meant to test things against God's word if we don't read his word? I know it can be tricky, I really, really do, because it's not something that comes naturally to me. But it's a spiritual practice worth investing in because it helps us to get to know Jesus. And there's nothing better than knowing Jesus. And you know where is a great place to dig into the Bible? I can see on your faces you know what's coming. Home groups. (laughs) Can it be a sermon in this church without a plug for home groups? No. It is really great to sit around with a bunch of people seeking to know God better and dig into the Bible and what it means in an environment that is loving and where no question is too silly. If you're reading the Bible, you will have questions. Because if not, I'm not entirely convinced you're reading it right. And home groups are a great place to bring these questions. To sum up this first test then, for John's original hearers, any message or messenger that does not acknowledge that the Son of God came in the flesh and all that entails is one to be wary of. And for us, any message, messenger, any worldview that we encounter in conversations, on a TV show, or on social media, Any message that doesn't recognize who Jesus is and what he has done is simply not giving us a true and accurate view of the world, of what God is like, or of ourselves. If we listen too closely, then we run the risk of taking on ideas and perspectives that lead us to live as if Jesus' life, death, and resurrection never happened. Taking in those ideas subtle as they are, can lead us off course. So if we're working out if a message is true and it doesn't pass this first test, we're to dismiss it as it is from an untruthful source. At best, it's a dodgy foundation for us to stand on. And at worst, it will wreck us. It is not going to be God if it calls into question our entire foundation of our relationship with him. Test number two, does it sound like the world or God's people? Verses five and six. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. 
Does the spirit, that is, message or messenger, sound more like the viewpoint of the world and what the world values, or more like the people of God, people that you know to love Jesus and follow him? Because God and the world sound rather different. Why is the world a problem? As I said before, the enemy is freely at work in this fallen world, leading us away from God. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Some of you will have heard parts of my testimony before, um, but for those who know a little, um, not much about me at all, I became a Christian here in this church family, aged 19, um, almost seven years ago. And so this shift from listening to the viewpoint of the world to listening to what God says is still something that lingers in my memory. To share from my own experience, I'll tell you a bit about the differences I noticed as I started to seek to listen to God and his perspective instead of the world's. And I'll use money and success as examples. So money. The world told me that the money I earned was mine and I could spend it however I pleased. 17-year-old me was absolutely thrilled. Between working and my student loan coming in, I bought myself a whole new wardrobe that year. I never really gave any money away back then. After all, I had earned it. Not that I thought that giving to charities was a bad thing. It generally sounded pretty good to me. But pretty good for others, and pretty good for me later when I earned a proper salary. But this is not the narrative that I hear God giving us. And so I had to adjust. Adjust to viewing my finances as God's and a gift. And so 10% of what I earn, even though it's from the church, goes back to God and his work through the church because that's what I believe God asks of us. And I try and remember to pick up a few things for storehouse regularly because the Bible tells us to give to those in need. This is not in any way to boast about my giving, but hopefully just to show you the shift that's had to take place in my life. It's been a journey. A couple years into following Jesus, I was still definitely not thrilled at the concept of giving 10% of my income away. Success. The world told me that success was good grades, resulting in a good degree so that I could get a good job that paid well, because that would mean financial security and stability. That was success. This came crumbling down. Although overall my grades um, through school and university were all right, and I did in fact get a good degree. I did then go on to work for the church for two years unpaid. Not quite what I would call financial stability and security. It was quite the opposite. So naturally, during that time, I had to reassess my perspective of success, realign it with God's voice, his values, and his narrative. 
Where I landed was that success is actually loving God, having relationship with him and following him and loving others. If I'm loving God, living life in submission to him and loving others well, then I think in God's eyes, I'm pretty successful. But I'm not so sure any message we hear from the world would agree. God and the world sound rather different. The world tells us to work harder and to run faster. And God tells us to Sabbath, to take a day's rest every week. The world says more money is more happiness. And God says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The world says put yourself first, even if it's trampling on others in the process. And God says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. So test two. Does the message or messenger sound more like they are speaking from the viewpoint of the world or the viewpoint of God? Is this message in line with heaven's picture of what living a good life looks like? Or is it pulling me towards different priorities? Is this messenger in line with the signpost to God that he calls his people to be? Or is the messenger actually pointing me to worship other gods, to worship other things that this world tells me are more worthy of my time, my energy, and my resources? We have limited time, energy, and resources. And if a message or a messenger is telling us how to use them in a way that does not align with God's narrative... It'll begin to impact the way in which we see the world and live in the world. And we'll find ourselves being pulled apart from our close relationship with God. So listen to God's narrative, his viewpoint, his values, not the world's. His voice is better. His perspective is better. It is life-giving and fulfilling compared to the world's viewpoint, which leads us down all sorts of dark paths. How do you listen to God's narrative, I hear you ask? Sorry, but not sorry for repeating myself. Familiarize yourself with God's word. Read your Bibles. And spend time with people who love God and speak his words. And even better, combine the two and join a home group. <laughs> Test three. Does the message or messenger show love? So verses 7 and 8. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Test 3. Does it show love? Does the message or messenger represent this truth about what God is like, or not. Let's just clarify what we mean by love here, which, by the way, Alistair did a fantastic job of last week. This kind of love is not the romantic kind with gooey feelings that you'll find in a Hallmark movie. This kind of love is kindness, it's grace, and it's sacrificial generosity. Love is all over the Bible. We are to love God and we are to love others, 
and we're even to love our enemies. A message may have value and have genuinely great things to teach us, but if the messenger is not showing love, be wary. People full of Jesus and the Holy Spirit probably shouldn't be jerks. <laughs> I mean, we're no, by no means perfect, of course, but someone who's been filled with the Holy Spirit, we expect to be being transformed. Not fully transformed, but being transformed. It is not enough to just believe in God. James says, you bet let me start again. James says, you believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. It's not enough. We need to be, re- we need to be receiving his love, as Jim shared two weeks ago. And as people who are receiving God's love, we need to be people who are showing his love too. Also in James... Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Or I don't think it would be unfair to the text to say, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by godly love, is dead. I think I have come a long way in the seven years since I met Jesus. Not only have I heard and accepted God's message about who he is, what he is like, and how to have a relationship with him, but as well as that, Following Jesus and having the Holy Spirit in me has been transforming me into a much more gracious person than I was before, more compassionate, more patient, more sacrificial, and less selfish. It's still, of course, a journey. I'm in no way there. But with God in me and transforming me to be more loving, he is making me a much more effective signpost to Jesus and his kingdom. If I do not show love alongside my message, I think it would be a lot harder for me to point people to Jesus. In fact, I might actually send them in the opposite direction. So let's remember that we are all messengers too. So does the message or messenger sound more like it's coming from heaven, showing the love that God has for us, Or does it sound like it's coming from hell, spreading distraction and destruction? A third really great test. Three tests then to weigh up whether a spirit, a message, messenger, an idea is from God or not. The reality is we are in a spiritual battle. We face spiritual warfare all around us in a world that is being fought over by God who wants us to be redeemed and restored by him and an enemy that is seeking to continue the work of dragging humanity away from God. The very messages of the world that we live in, the very ideas, the spirits, as John highlights for us, 
are messages that help us to build a God-given world, a God-given worldview, or an enemy-constructed one. And we do need to be equipped to identify the wolves in sheep's clothing, the enemy working in subtle ways that even seem like they could be God at first sight. And John has given us three tests that we can't go far wrong with. One, does the message or messenger acknowledge God the Son coming in the flesh and the whole good news that that truth means for the world? Two, does the message or messenger sound more like it's from the world or God? What worldview will I be building if I take this in? And three, does the message or messenger show God's love, his loving kindness, gracious love? Running what we hear through these three things can only help us protect ourselves from being led away from our relationship with our loving Father. And finally, to finish, if this seems overwhelming, my simple advice is to run to Jesus. Let's spend time with him, asking him to fill us up with him, to lead us in our choices, to speak truth to our minds and fill our hearts with his love and his peace. If we do that, then we can be reassured, as John says in verse 4, that you, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. That's the spirits. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. God is bigger. He is better and stronger than any spirit, message, or messenger that comes against him. So we can run to and we can rest in him. Why don't you stand with me? Loving Father, we just thank you that, that you have already overcome. But while we do still find ourselves in a bit of a spiritual battlefield, we know that you have ultimately won. So would you come now, Holy Spirit, bring your peace and bring your freedom. We love you, Jesus. In the words um, I read this week from Eugene Peterson, rescue us from the person who tells me of life and admits Christ, who is wise in the ways of the world and ignores the movement of the Spirit. Amen.